0: Hello, I'm Aaron Lore, and this is the Endocrine News Podcast. Whether we like it or not, we're all getting older. What do we know about how aging impacts our endocrine system? What don't we know? That's what we're here to talk about today as we look at the new scientific statement from the Endocrine Society titled Hormones and Aging, an Endocrine Society Scientific Statement. Joining me is one of the authors of that statement, Dr. Ann Coppola. Dr. Coppola is a professor of medicine at the University of Pennsylvania and founding director of Penn Medical Communication Research Institute. Thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you, Aaron. I'm pleased to be here.
0: All right, so why don't we start with this one? What is a scientific statement, and why did the Endocrine Society want to publish one on hormones and aging?
1: scientific statement breaks down what the current science of the field is and then goes on to discuss where the field should be going. What is the future research that's needed? It's different from a clinical practice guideline that way in that it doesn't have specific recommendations for patients, but it's a good way to update people on where the field is. It's also a great way for the endocrine society to use something like this statement to build on it for future programs, future research, advocating for the NIH, policymakers. It's a great way to have a document to take forward to explain where things are.
0: So let's talk about the aging part. Everybody ages, and as we age, there's a lot of changes occurring from an endocrinology perspective. Can you walk us through some of these changes?
1: Yes. So some of those changes are changes that we consider purely aging. Those are changes that might happen in the reproductive axes, such as menopause with women, declining testosterone levels with men, lower growth hormone levels with both uh, sexes. And then some of those we consider to be more of changes in the presentation of disease. So an example there would be how we treat patients with diabetes or osteoporosis or even who gets vitamin D supplementation, water balance as we age. Mm. So we, we didn't specifically divide the statement up that way, but that's the way that naturally the field has fallen into those that we kind of know are aging related, we don't necessarily treat, and then those that we call disease and therefore need to have some kind of identification and treatment.
0: And the statement does cover a lot of grounds. It's, it's a fantastic wealth of information. And to organize the content of the statement, it's written out in, like you said, these series of sections. Can you tell us more about these sections and roughly what the statement addresses?
1: The sections, are there are nine of them total, nine different areas. The areas include growth hormone axis, uh, ovarian axis, testicular axis, thyroid axis, as well as adrenal axis, osteoporosis, diabetes, vitamin D deficiency, and water balance. Mm. Now, within each of those sections, we broke it down into a summary of the the current field, specifically as it relates to older individuals, and then identified clinical trials in the area, gaps in the field, key points, and, and really ended with where do we think the research needs to be going. And it's a standardized format across each of those nine. Now, that may seem like an enormous document, and in fact, it is a big document, But we felt that it was important to be inclusive, and quite honestly, I think you would be hard-pressed to find a better summary for each of those nine areas anywhere else that is, you know, the whole thing for each section is limited to about 2,000 words. And so it's comprehensive, but at the same time, you really, it distills that information in such a great way. Our authors were all incredible. They're experts in the field. So that what you can take away from it is really an understanding of the field where it is and where it should be going across these nine areas.
0: So it sounds like the document is big, but it's big in the right way. It's big in the way that it needs to be. And while it's maybe a little too big to uncover everything in this podcast episode, I will say to you listeners, if you want to see this document, please go to today's episode description. There's going to be a link there. So you can go there, you can read the whole thing. But for now, what would you consider some of the most important take home messages from the statement?
1: I think the statement is important in discussing what does not need to be treated at this point as well as what does need to be treated. And so it's very careful to use the evidence that's there to talk about how we don't need to be considering growth hormone supplementation right now, the ways in which to consider estrogen or testosterone supplementation, not considering DHEA supplementation, and not overprescribing thyroid medication. At the same time, it's also recommending that we do a better job of identifying and appropriately caring for those that have diabetes, those that have osteoporosis, as well as identifying and treating water metabolism uh, abnormalities and, when appropriate, vitamin D deficiency. So it's, it's good in that it provides a rationale to not have people go overboard with treatment. I know many of our patients are very interested in anti-aging types of therapies. And what we really want to do is to focus on what would help people's function the most. And what those patients don't always hear about are the harms. Mm-hmm. They hear about the potential benefits and what this document provides, or here are some of the potential benefits. They're very, very mild, if present at all, but they're really counterbalanced in some ways by some harms. And we really want to think about what are the harms that are specific to older individuals and what are the data that are specific to older individuals.
0: So if, is there anything that patients are, are doing now and they're considering their aging process and maybe wanting to, to stop it, you know, or reverse it? Is there any behaviors that you're seeing that you find particularly concerning?
1: Yes, I, there are patients that are finding providers that bill themselves as kind of anti-aging providers, And they may be getting prescriptions for some of these hormones or some of the bioidentical or compounded hormones for which there either isn't that much data or there isn't a reason to believe that the data would be different than the data using the established preparations that are already out there. And so that's one thing that you have to counter is they may be getting information either from one of those providers or finding things online and coming in and and really wanting to reverse aging. I think what it's important to do at that point is to try to find out why. You know, what is it that they're trying to do? Is it a cosmetic kind of thing? Is it they're not feeling good in other ways and try to get to the root of it? But it can be very challenging for patients that are, are looking for the fountain of youth hmm. in the form of a hormone, and it's really not the case.
0: You know, a big part of Endocrine Society scientific statements is also noting areas where more research is needed. Can you give us a few examples of such areas from the statement?
1: That's the fun part of the statement. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different than anything that you'll find out there because you don't tend to see published you know, documents about where the field needs to go. Now, each of the nine areas has its own you know, specific guidelines or recommendations uh, for where to go next. But we were able to pull out of it certain overarching themes. And I would say that the first of the overarching themes was that we need to have data specifically in older individuals, and particularly some of the individuals the the oldest old. Hmm. So 65 is often the cutoff for for being considered older, um, but we have plenty of people living into their 80s and 90s, and we just don't have a lot of information in that population. In addition, some of the studies that we have tend to be in healthy older people, but what we really like to do is to see if there's something to benefit people who maybe are frail or have you know other underlying problems or things that could positively affect cognition or prevent Alzheimer's disease. We're really interested, is there research that could help slow down some of these diseases that we know are so debilitating in some of these conditions? So that's the first. The second is there's some really interesting and exciting areas related to regenerative medicine. So are there mm-hmm. ways to preserve our glands and help them function better, and that would really be ideal. Our bodies do a much better job, and our glands naturally do better than anything that we can supplement. There are these feedback loops, there are interactions with each other, there are minute to minute, often, adjustments that are made that if you're giving someone a stable dose of medication, it's just not as good. So I think it'd be really exciting to see if we can help preserve some of the function of these glands, and there's some really interesting research going in that area. And I think we'd love to see that continue as well. And then for the third area, um, are there ways to think about using these hormones, maybe even antagonistically as well as agonistically, depending on the area? So for example, if you blocked certain actions, could you prevent or help treat cancers with some of these? Uh And so really thinking of novel ways to do that. The final overarching theme that we have throughout is that we need to be thinking about this in different populations. And I mentioned healthy versus not healthy, but we also need to think about what is the role of different racial or ethnic backgrounds and how really have been understudied across all ages, but particularly we don't have a lot of information on older people and we need to understand the heterogeneity. There's so much heterogeneity in the process of aging and then I'm going to even tack on one more about that, is right. that is that you know we, we were thinking in some ways, we think about each of these glands or these axes as independent of each other, or when we're, but they're really all in one body. And so one of the exciting things about this was trying to pull together what are some of these common themes and are there ways to even think about these axes together as these changes are happening concurrently? Are there any interventions? Do we think about them concurrently?
0: So. when you think about the next five to ten years maybe it's regenerative medicine maybe it's gonna be something else but what might be some new knowledge that you hope we will learn when it comes to hormones and aging
1: yeah i I hope we have a a new knowledge about whom to treat and whom not to treat i think if i put it you know broadly Mm. and and again you know i did mention ahead of time i guess the the preservation I also want to put a point in somewhere for this, and I don't know if it's here or elsewhere, that about how there are already certain things that we know that can help preserve endocrine function that we need to get people to do. So there's a big emphasis on taking things, taking supplements to help us, but something like exercise has many benefits across these different systems. So it boosts testosterone levels, it reduces diabetes incidence and helps to management of diabetes. It also helps with prevention and management of osteoporosis. And so if we could advocate for some of these things and show some of the hormonal benefit and do a better job of communicating what's already out there with our patients, I think that could be just as much benefit as what are the new things on the horizon. We absolutely will, you know, some cool new things that I hope that are out there, but I would also like to see us do a better job of explaining The evidence that's already there.
0: Dr. Capola, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you all for listening.
0: That's all for this episode. Again, we really just scraped the surface of what the scientific statement covers. I encourage you to check out the statement using the link in today's episode description. And while you're there, you may wanna check out another recent scientific statement from the Endocrine Society titled, Endocrine Health and Healthcare Disparities in the Pediatric and Sexual and Gender Minority Populations. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.